Thought Leadership from PwC. Welcome to PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn. This episode is our audio companion to PwC's quarter close publication, which rounds up topics to be aware of as you close your books for the quarter. And for another quarter end resource, don't forget to tune in to the our quarterly webcast. You can register for the webcast by heading on over to viewpoint.pwc.com. With that, I'd like to introduce your narrators, PwC partner, Angela Ferguson, and PwC Managing Director, Mark Jerusalem, back this month to take you through the quarter close. Angela and Mark are both from our national office. And on that note, all resources referenced throughout the podcast are linked in the print publication at viewpoint.pwc.com. And now I'll turn it over to Angela and Mark. As we wrap up the first quarter of 2023, recent market events are a reminder that macroeconomic conditions continue to impact many companies. To help identify how different macroeconomic trends could impact your accounting and reporting, we've created an interactive tool, Accounting in Uncertain Economic Times. Use it to better understand potential challenges and locate additional resources. First quarter reporting typically means adopting new accounting standards, and this year is no exception. We summarize newly effective guidance for public companies, featuring new disclosures required beginning this quarter for supplier finance programs. With businesses continuing to navigate a challenging economic environment, many are making adjustments to their organizational structures or business strategies. In Ask the National Office, we offer timely reminders about when these changes could require reassessing a company's reportable segments and the resulting accounting and reporting implications. In regulatory developments, anticipation is growing for the SEC's next steps on climate disclosures. Meanwhile, there have been significant developments related to the other of the big three sustainability reporting frameworks. We summarize what you need to know. The FASB made progress this quarter on multiple standard setting projects, issuing a proposal that would require significant new income tax disclosures and wrapping up its discussions on a new accounting model for crypto assets. We also get you up to speed on the latest tentative decisions related to the FASB's project on income statement expense disaggregation. In this edition of the quarter close, we highlight these and other relevant accounting and reporting topics you should consider as you close out the first quarter of 2023. This first section of the quarter close is accounting and reporting hot topics, starting with new disclosures for supplier finance programs. Beginning in Q1 of 2023, Calendar year-end companies will be required to provide new disclosures about supplier finance programs under ASU 2022-04. While the new standard does not address the accounting for these arrangements, it requires disclosure intended to enhance transparency into the key terms and amounts subject to the program. First, we'll provide some background on supplier finance programs. When a reporting entity, or buyer, 
buys goods or services from a supplier, the buyer often recognizes its payment obligation as a trade payable. It has become increasingly popular for buyers to establish a supplier finance program with a bank or other financial intermediary. In a typical program, the buyer validates the invoice received from the supplier and the intermediary may offer early payment, typically a discounted amount, to the supplier. The buyer will generally make its payment according to the terms of the original invoice. However, the terms of each arrangement can vary significantly. A key judgment when accounting for supplier finance programs is whether invoices in the program should be presented as a trade payable or as debt. A range of factors and evidence should be considered in assessing whether the substance of the obligation is more akin to a trade payable or debt. Considerations include, has the buyer's obligation been modified so significantly that it should be considered a new arrangement that is debt? Examples include significantly extending the payment terms, requiring the buyer to post collateral, changing the payable's seniority, charging interest, or permitting the buyer to earn a fee based on vendor participation. Has the supplier agreed to atypical invoice terms because a supplier finance program is in place? Extended payment terms may indicate that the buyer's obligation is more akin to debt because the program is facilitating payment terms that are well beyond what it would get with a typical trade payable. Now the disclosure requirements. Certain of the disclosure requirements are effective for fiscal years beginning after December 15, 2022 for all entities. Early adoption is permitted. Disclosures required for calendar year-end companies are summarized as follows. For 2023, for all interim and annual periods, companies will be required to disclose information about the program's key terms, balance sheet presentation as trade payables or debt, confirmed amount outstanding at the end of the period, regardless of whether the amount has been discounted to the supplier by the intermediary. Since 2023 is the first year of adoption, all annual disclosures except for the roll forward are required in each interim period. The disclosures should be made retrospectively for each period for which a balance sheet is presented. For 2024 and beyond, companies will be required to disclose, for interim periods, confirmed amount outstanding at the end of the period, regardless of whether the amount has been discounted to the supplier by the intermediary. For annual periods, information about the program's key terms, balance sheet presentation as trade payables or debt, confirmed amount outstanding at the end of the period regardless of whether the amount has been discounted to the supplier by the intermediary, roll forward of annual activity. This roll forward requirement is applied prospectively. For more details, refer to section 11.3.1.5 of our financial statement presentation guide. Also, listen to our recently released podcast, Supplier Finance, New Disclosures Aim to Enhance Transparency. The next accounting and reporting hot topic we'll cover is other accounting standards effective in 2023. In addition to new disclosures about supplier finance obligations discussed earlier, new accounting standards related to business combinations, insurance contracts, hedge accounting, and credit losses are effective for many public companies in 2023. Up first, accounting for acquired contract assets and contract liabilities. ASU 2021-08, 
requires contract assets and contract liabilities, that is, deferred revenue, acquired in a business combination, to be recognized and measured by the acquirer on the acquisition date in accordance with ASC 606, Revenue from Contracts with Customers, as opposed to measuring these assets and liabilities at fair value. Generally, this new guidance will result in the acquirer recognizing contract assets and contract liabilities at the same amounts recorded by the acquiree. For more information, refer to our in-depth Accounting for Acquired Contract Assets and Contract Liabilities. Up next, Accounting for Long-Duration Contracts Issued by an Insurance Entity. ASU 2018-12 amends key areas of the accounting and disclosures for long-duration contracts issued by insurers and reinsurers, including updated assumptions and revised discount rates used to measure the liability for future policy benefits for non-participating traditional and limited payment contracts, introduction of the concept of market risk benefits to be accounted for at fair value, simplified amortization of deferred acquisition costs and other balances previously amortized in a consistent manner as deferred acquisition costs, and enhanced disclosures. For more information, refer to our insurance contracts guide. The next standard effective in 2023 covers fair value hedging, the portfolio layer method. ASU 2022-01 replaces the recently added last of layer hedging guidance and provides the ability to hedge the benchmark interest rate risk of a closed portfolio of fixed rate fixed income securities with multiple hedging relationships. For more information, refer to our derivatives and hedging guide. The last standard we'll cover is troubled debt restructurings and vintage disclosures. ASU 2022-02 eliminates the troubled debt restructuring guidance for creditors that have adopted the new credit loss guidance, commonly referred to as CECL, and adds new disclosure requirements. This guidance does not impact the accounting for borrowers. For more information, refer to our in-depth Amendments to CECL Eliminate TDRs and Add Disclosures. For a complete list of recently issued accounting standards and their effective dates, including links to PwC resources, refer to the Guidance Effective for Calendar Year-End Public Companies and Guidance Effective for Calendar Year-End Non-Public Companies pages on Viewpoint. The last accounting and reporting hot topic is tax accounting for OECD Pillar 2 taxes. Various jurisdictions have made significant advancements in enacting domestic legislation based upon the minimum tax described in the Global Anti-Base Erosion Rules, also called the Globe Minimum Tax, or Pillar 2 tax, raising questions about the related accounting impact. At the FASB's February 1, 2023 meeting, The FASB staff provided their view that the GLOBE minimum tax is an alternative minimum tax as discussed in ASC 740 income taxes. Based on this conclusion, reporting entities would not recognize or adjust deferred tax assets and liabilities for the estimated future effects of Pillar 2 taxes as long as enacted legislation is consistent with the OECD's GLOBE model rules and associated commentary. Rather, the tax would be accounted for as a period cost 
impacting the effective tax rate in the year the globe minimum tax obligation arises. Concurrent with these developments from the FASB, the IASB issued an exposure draft proposing amendments to the IFRS guidance to introduce a temporary but mandatory exception to the accounting for deferred taxes arising from the implementation of the Pillar 2 rules along with extensive disclosure requirements. The number of companies expected to be impacted by Pillar 2 continues to expand as more jurisdictions introduce and advance domestic legislation based upon the Pillar 2 rules. While the majority of Pillar 2 legislation is anticipated to be effective in 2024 and beyond, enactment in 2023 would likely trigger disclosure requirements. Multinational entities should continue to monitor developments of Pillar 2 legislation and assess the potential accounting and disclosure implications. For more details on the FASB staff's view, refer to our in-brief, FASB staff weighs in on tax accounting for OECD Pillar 2 taxes. For more background on the OECD's international corporate tax reform and Pillar 2's model rules, read our In the Loop, the OECD Minimum Tax, What U.S. Companies Need to Know. The next section of the quarter close is Ask the National Office, Navigating Changes to Segment Reporting. We asked Laurel DeSalvio, a director in PwC's national office, a few key questions that companies should consider regarding segment reporting changes in the current environment. Why would a company need to reassess its reportable segments now? Companies may be rethinking their business strategies or making other structural changes in response to the current environment. The segment standard does not provide specific guidance on when a company should reassess its reportable segments. So whether a reassessment is needed will depend on a company's specific facts. Typically, segment conclusions need to be reassessed upon significant acquisitions or dispositions and changes to the organizational structure such as a different individual or a group being identified as the Chief Operating Decision Maker, or CODM. Changes to reportable segments can also occur if there are changes to the individuals that report to the CODM, the information reviewed by the CODM, or how the CODM allocates resources, assesses performance, or determines budget. What are the accounting implications that could result from a change to reportable segments. If there are changes to a company's reportable segments, management should also assess whether the company's reporting units have changed. Reporting units are defined as the same as or one level below the operating segments. This is important because goodwill is tested for impairment at the reporting unit level. If the composition of one or more reporting units changes, the company's assets and liabilities should be reassigned to the reporting units affected before allocating goodwill. Then goodwill should be reassigned using a relative fair value approach. Changes to the composition or carrying amount of a reporting unit's net assets may trigger the need to perform a goodwill impairment test. It would not be appropriate, however, for a company to reorganize its reporting structure simply to avoid an impairment charge. How was a change to reportable segments reflected in the financial statements? 
A change to reportable segments is reflected in the period of change by recasting the segment footnote for all periods presented, unless it is impracticable to do so. Outside of the financial statements, the company will also need to update any information in MDNA about the results of operations of its individual reportable segments. Changes that occur after period end, but before issuing the financial statements, are treated as an unrecognized subsequent event. That is, the information in the segment footnote is not recast to reflect the change. However, companies should consider disclosing that a change will occur in the subsequent period. When a change to reportable segments occurs during any interim period, a company is not required to immediately recast either the current year's earlier interim periods or the prior year's annual segment footnote. Recasting of the prior period information is typically done in the next filing that presents those periods. However, the issuance of a registration statement may accelerate the need to recast prior period annual financial statements. What is the impact if a company issues a registration statement after making a change to reportable segments in an interim period? When a company changes its reportable segments in an interim period, there are reporting implications if those interim financial statements are included or incorporated by reference into a new or amended registration statement before the company's next annual filing. In this situation, the company is required to recast its prior period annual financial statements to reflect the segment information on a comparable basis, assuming the effect on previously issued annual financial statements is material. If the company presents three years of financial statements, this requires recasting three years of segment information. Rather than just the two historical years that would be required if the segment footnote was not recast until the next annual filing after the change. MDNA may also need to be updated. For more information on changes to reportable segments, refer to section 25.7.8 of our financial statement presentation guide. In the next section of the quarter close, we discuss regulatory developments. Up first, is ESG reporting checking in on the big three frameworks. While the timing and content of the SEC's final climate disclosure rule is uncertain, there have been significant developments related to the other significant sustainability reporting framework proposed last year. Corporate Sustainability Reporting Disclosure, or CSRD. In December 2022, The final CSRD was published in the European Union, or EU, official journal after adoption by the European Parliament and the Council of the EU. Beginning January 2023, EU member states have 18 months to transpose the CSRD into their own national laws. The reporting standards enacting the CSRD, the European Sustainability Reporting Standards, continue to be evaluated by the European Commission. An additional public consultation on these standards will be conducted prior to their expected adoption in mid-2023. In addition, certain sector standards are expected to be issued as exposure drafts for public consultation in the second quarter. The CSRD's reporting requirements are extensive, spanning environmental, social, and governance topics. 
Their scope includes non-EU headquartered companies with operations in the EU. The first companies within the scope of the CSRD will have to apply the new sustainability regime starting for fiscal year 2024, reporting in 2025. This includes certain non-EU companies listed on EU regulated markets. For further information, listen to our podcast, Talking ESG, What's Next for EU Reporting Requirements, International Sustainability Standards Board, ISSB. At its February meeting, the ISSB concluded the decision-making deliberations on their draft standards and initiated the drafting and formal balloting process phase. The ISSB plans to finalize its two draft sustainability standards, one on general sustainability-related financial information and one on climate disclosures, by the end of the second quarter, with an effective date starting in January 2024. This would have been reporting as early as 2025 in those jurisdictions choosing to adopt the ISSB's standards. Recent decisions by the ISSB are intended to improve alignment with international financial reporting standards, including enhanced disclosure about significant judgments and estimates, more quantitative disclosures about the financial effects of significant risks and opportunities, and introducing the concept of reasonable and supportable information that is available at the reporting date without undue cost and effort. The ISSB also provided relief related to greenhouse gas, or GHD, emissions reporting period alignment. When GHG emissions information arises from entities in the company's value chain, with reporting periods that differ from the company's own, this relief will allow a company to measure its GHG emissions using information for different reporting periods in certain circumstances. Listen to our podcast, Talking ESG, recap of the ISSB's fast-paced deliberations to get further information on recent developments. For more information, for insights about how companies are addressing current SEC climate-related disclosure requirements, read our publication, Today's SEC Climate Disclosures, How Do You Measure Up? In addition, we have updated our comparison of the big three frameworks navigating the ESG landscape for recent developments. For updates on what companies are doing to prepare for these reporting requirements, listen to our podcast, Talking ESG, How Companies Are Preparing for Mandatory Reporting. The last regulatory development we'll cover is the SEC's Enhanced Safeguarding Rule Proposal for Investment Advisors. In February, the SEC proposed rule changes to enhance the protections of customer assets managed by registered investment advisors. The proposal would expand the scope of assets covered by the current custody rule, as well as the record-keeping and reporting requirements for advisors. It would also significantly expand the responsibilities for qualified custodians by enhancing representations to clients and advisors, eliminating accommodation reporting, and narrowing the definition of possession or control. Finally, the proposal would increase the involvement of independent public accountants in certain circumstances. Comments on the proposal are due by May 8th. For more information, read our in brief, SEC proposes rule changes on safeguarding of client assets. In the final section of the quarter close, we cover standard setting updates. 
Up first, a FASB proposal would add significant new income tax disclosures. In March, the FASB issued a new proposal that would require a number of additional income tax disclosures, primarily focused on the disclosure of A, income taxes paid, and B, the rate reconciliation table. Companies would need to disaggregate the disclosure of income taxes paid, net of refunds received, by federal, state, and foreign taxes, both on an interim and annual basis. On an annual basis, companies would disclose income taxes paid disaggregated by individual jurisdiction using a quantitative threshold of 5% of total income taxes paid. Public business entities would also be required to provide on an annual basis rate reconciliation information by specific categories, including state and local income tax, the effect of cross-border tax laws, foreign tax effects, and tax credits, among others. Additionally, some categories would then require disaggregation based on a quantitative threshold of 5%. The foreign tax effect category would require disaggregation by both jurisdiction and nature. The proposal also requires additional qualitative disclosures. The proposed amendments would be applied on a retrospective basis upon adoption. Comments on the proposal are due May 30th. Up next, a proposed accounting model for crypto assets is coming soon. In February, the FASB completed its initial deliberations on the accounting for and disclosure of crypto assets, with an exposure draft expected potentially as soon as the end of this month. The scope of the proposed guidance would include crypto assets that meet the definition of an intangible asset and that do not provide the asset holder with enforceable rights to or claims on underlying goods, services, or other assets, are created or reside on a distributed ledger or blockchain, are secured through cryptography, and are fungible. In addition, the FASB decided to exclude from the scope of the proposed guidance crypto assets created or issued by the reporting entity or their related parties, as well as assets commonly referred to as wrapped tokens. All crypto assets in scope would be measured at fair value, applying ASC 820 fair value measurement. Changes in fair value would be recognized in net income each reporting period and separately presented from the income statement effects of other intangible assets, such as amortization or impairments. The FASB considered, but decided against, pursuing a measurement alternative for crypto assets with inactive markets. The proposal is expected to include a number of required disclosures each reporting period, including the name, fair value, units held, and cost basis for each significant crypto asset holding, as well as information about crypto assets that are restricted from sale. For annual periods only, required disclosures would also include a reconciliation of activity for crypto asset holdings and the difference between sale price and cost basis for crypto asset dispositions. Additionally, in-scope crypto assets would be required to be presented separately from other intangible assets on the balance sheet. Based on tentative FASB decisions, an entity would be required to recognize a cumulative effect adjustment to retained earnings as of the beginning of the annual period in which the guidance is adopted. Early adoption is expected to be permitted. 
Once issued, the proposal will be available for public comment for 75 days. For more information, refer to the FASB's project page. To learn more about the accounting for crypto assets under the current accounting framework, read our crypto assets guide. The next standard setting update is the FASB's ratification of EITF decisions on investments in certain tax structures. In January, the FASB ratified the consensus reached by the EITF that expands the use of the proportional amortization method of accounting to equity investments in other tax credit structures beyond low-income housing programs that meet certain criteria. The proportional amortization method results in the tax credit investment being amortized in proportion to the allocation of tax credits and other tax benefits in each period, and a net presentation within the income tax line item. The final standard is expected as early as the end of March. The new guidance will be effective for public business entities for fiscal years beginning after December 15, 2023, including interim periods within those fiscal years. Early adoption will be permitted. The next standard setting update covers the FASB's deferral of the sunset date for reference rate reform relief. In December 2022, the FASB issued ASU 2022-06, which defers the sunset date of ASC 848 reference rate reform from December 31, 2022 to December 31, 2024. ASC 848 provides temporary relief relating to the potential accounting impact relating to the replacement of LIBOR or other reference rates expected to be discontinued as a result of reference rate reform. The standard is effective immediately for all entities. Refer to section 4.1.4 of our reference rate reform guide for further details. Finally, we have a project spotlight on the FASB's recent decisions on its income statement disaggregation project. The FASB continues to make headway on its project on disaggregation of income statement expenses. In January, the FASB reached a number of tentative decisions, providing a preview of new disclosures that could be proposed later this year. The FASB tentatively decided to require footnote disclosures that disaggregates each income statement expense line item into four categories. One, employee compensation. Two, inventory expenses. Three, depreciation of fixed assets. And four, amortization of intangibles. Companies would provide a qualitative description of the remaining amount not covered by these categories. Similar disaggregation would also be required for costs incurred that are capitalized into inventory during the reporting period. Lastly, companies would be required to separately disclose total selling expenses for the reporting period. We expect the FASB to make additional decisions at an upcoming meeting before moving the project to the proposal stage. For more information, including example disclosures reflecting the FASB's tentative decisions, refer to the FASB's project page. The next section is the PwC Reference Library. Refer to the print publication for a listing of reference materials, including podcasts, webcasts, and print publications that expand on the discussion in the quarter close. That's our show for today. Tune in next week for more fresh episodes. 
so that you never miss any of our audio content. Follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all our latest accounting and reporting news, sign up for our newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.